During his days on earth, Jesus was a polarizing figure, and he still is. Trent Griffith explains the two ways that people can respond to Christ. Can I ask you, what sort of sinner are you? A forgiven sinner or an unforgiven sinner? Are you a humble worshiper with a deep sense of your own sin? Or are you a spectator that has overestimated your righteousness in the presence of holiness? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Think of a sporting event. Remember those? One out here in the bottom of the sixth inning. Yeah, kids. Back in the days before social distancing was part of our everyday vocabulary, we used to pack thousands of people into stadiums and arenas and into stands to watch teams play games against each other. Well, at any sporting event, you're either playing on one of the teams or you're watching the game. And even though an armchair quarterback might think he knows what play the coach should call next, there's an important distinction. He's not actually playing on the team. Well, today, Pastor Trent is going to show us how we all fit into one of two categories. He delivered this message in May of 2019. Here's Trent Griffith. I've got my Bible open to Luke chapter 7. I trust that yours is open there as well. As we march verse by verse through the gospel of Luke, I so appreciate Stephen Love pinch hitting for me last week, and he just kept going through the gospel of Luke here. Luke is writing a real letter to a real person, his friend named Theo, that he's asking a question about the identity of Jesus, and Luke is providing the answer. Paragraph by paragraph, narrative by narrative, character after character, we're trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? The most important question. You can get a lot of questions wrong. You cannot afford to get that question wrong. It's going to determine the outcome of your life and your eternal destiny. So it's so important that we study the answer to that question. Now, as we open up uh, Luke chapter 7 here, Luke is going to introduce us to two characters that have two completely opposite answers to the question, who do you say that I am? Now, not only are we going to find these two characters in this story, these two characters are in this room. As a matter of fact, every person in every seat by the time we're finished here, is going to be able to identify yourself as either a worshiper or a spectator. Now, if you've been attending Gospel City Church for any time at all, you realize our mission is to make disciples fully devoted worshipers of Jesus Christ. We are not interested in making spectators. But I don't know about for you, the longer that you know Jesus, the longer that you worship him, the better answer that you can give to the question, who do you say that I am? The more tempted you can be to drift into being a spectator. Your relationship with Jesus can become comfortable 
and casual. You can lose the sense of an awareness of actually what Jesus has done for you, and you can slide into a stoic, unemotional, unresponsive response to Jesus. And so it's the temptation for everybody here. You know the flow of the service. You know at some point somebody's going to say, open the Bible. You know if you stay long enough, somebody's going to eventually say you are loved. And you can just kind of put it in cruise control. And if you do that, you'll become a spectator rather than a worshiper. Understand, if you want to be a spectator we are going to make you feel uncomfortable at Gospel City Church. Now listen, if you're just kind of stepping into this relationship with Jesus and you're trying to get these questions answered, maybe you're new to church, new to Jesus, new to Bible, please know you are welcome here. You have come to the right place. Keep coming, keep observing, keep leaning in, keep moving. Some of you are coming from some really hurtful places where maybe you've been out of church for a while and maybe you got hurt at a church and you're not quite sure you can even trust what happens in a church and these people that hold Bibles and because you've been scarred by some people that held Bibles in the past. Listen, you are in the right place. We want you here. This is the place to grow and to heal and to to learn. But please hear me. If you have come to Gospel City Church for years and you are just occupying space around here, if all you're interested in is being a spectator, I would love to introduce to you some other churches where you would feel more comfortable. There are churches all around us that do a much better job of the spectator thing. That's not what we're going for here. But if you're interested in becoming a worshiper, then I want to introduce to you what the characteristics of a true worshiper of Jesus are. So today we're going to see three characteristics of a true worshiper, and we're going to see three characteristics of a spectator. And by the time we're finished, everybody in this room is going to be able to identify themselves. Are you a worshiper or are you simply a spectator. So let me introduce you to these two um, characters in the story. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the house of the Pharisee and reclined at table. Here's the first characteristic of a true worshiper. There is a deep humility. And yet that is contrasted by a spectator who only has a surface hospitality. We are introduced to a spectator in this story. He's a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the the religious fatheads. They knew more Bible than anybody else did. They had more rules and regulations than anybody else did. They were kind of the spiritual police on the scene. And one of these guys invites Jesus into his space. He invites him into his home. He's interested in Jesus. Maybe he's become an admirer of Jesus, a fan of Jesus. Maybe he feels like, I need to get to know this guy. Maybe he wants to have his questions answered, so he goes to Jesus and invites him into his home. There's a certain level of hospitality. That's good, but it's got to go beyond hospitality. Maybe this Pharisee thought by having Jesus in his home, it would bring some level of respectability, or maybe it would bring him some level of interest or curiosity that could be satisfied. He wanted Jesus in his proximity. He just didn't want Jesus 
with intimacy. And so we've got to be careful not to be simply somebody that welcomes Jesus with hospitality. We've got to go beyond that to a place of deep humility. Now we're going to find out later this guy's name was actually Simon. Don't get confused. Jesus had a disciple named Simon Peter. That's a different guy. Here we have a Pharisee, same name, different guy. And he asked him into his home. Then here's the second character we're introduced to in the story in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... Now, just stop right there. When you think of the term woman of the city who is a sinner, what do you think her sin was? Now, you can kind of read between the lines there. At the very least, we would be able to say, surely her sin was idolatry. Because we know that that is at the root of every other sin. Below every other sin, there's this root of idolatry where we elevate something else to the place of God in our lives. Whether it's a relationship or a career or money or children or even religion, idolatry is when you give the best of your emotion, the best of your attention, the best of your affection to something other than God. And so in that sense, we are all sinners. And so she certainly had committed the sin of idolatry we can kind of speculate a little bit. It's quite possible that she had committed sins of sexuality. It's quite possible she was known in the city. She was notorious in the city for sexual sin. She was maybe a prostitute. And maybe she had tried to find love in the arms of men. And yet we know that she probably was not only a sinner, she had probably been greatly sinned against and trafficked in that particular arena. And so she's coming with all kinds of scars, all kinds of shame, all kinds of entanglement in sin. Do you get a picture of who this woman is? Some of you in this room can identify with that woman because I just described your past. And I want you to notice this woman doesn't let the sin and the shame and the scars keep her from Jesus. She presses through and boldly, notice what she does, she comes uninvited to the dinner party in Simon's house. Notice it says in verse 37, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, this, this alabaster flask, it was a container. Alabaster is a soft stone that could be molded into a container. And inside this container was something described as ointment. It was likely perfume. It, was a, it had a nice aroma. Why did she bring that so intentionally with her? Understand, this was her most treasured possession. The most costly thing she had. She brought it with her. She had likely used this to make her sin smell better. And she brings this to Jesus. Notice what happens next in verse 38. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Awkward. 
I mean, that, would that be a little weird if somebody showed up at dinner tonight and started kissing your feet? And That's a little weird, right? It might help you to understand a little better about how dinner was served in this ancient culture. Now, if I invited you over for dinner, I'm going to kind of bring a chair around and, and I'm going to seat you at a 30-inch table and you're going to scoot up and we're all going to enjoy dinner that's served there on the table. That was not the way dinner was served in this culture. Did you notice the two times it said Jesus reclined at table? How many of your children get disciplined if they recline at your table? Right? And they'll slap over their sleep. Sit. What do you tell them? Sit up, sit up, sit up. You're not supposed to act like that. You're supposed to have good posture. Well, in this culture, what it means to recline at table was this. The table was low, maybe, maybe 12 inches off the ground. The meal was served down here. So to get to the meal, the way that you ate dinner in that culture is you simply reclined at table the way you did when you were a college student in your dorm and somebody had pizza. You, you, you just kind of all laid on the floor and you just, you just dove into it. And you talked. And so Jesus was reclining at table. And there's another guy here. There's another guy behind him here. And he's eating the way that you would eat in that culture, reclining at table. Well, now you can get a picture of what it means when it said that the woman was standing at his feet. So she walks in uninvited and she stands there and she is overwhelmed with emotion at who she knows she is in the presence of who she knows Jesus is. And there was a storm of worship that began to brew in her heart that produced a flood of tears in her eyes that spilled over onto rain on Jesus' feet. And then she knelt. She got lower in Jesus' presence. And she came, and the Bible says that as her tears fell on his feet, she wanted to wash his feet. What? Why? Well, remember, this is before the days of Nike high tops and paved asphalt streets. And so if you were walking around in the streets of Israel at that time, it was dirt streets. Remember, animals would walk through there as well and leave animal residue there. And, and you're walking on all of this. And the best you probably had on your feet was a pair of sandals. So everybody's feet was filthy. And she noticed that as her tears struck his feet, it began to cleanse the water. And so she decided to do an even thorough job. And you know what she did? She got even lower. And she took her hair, which must have been very long, and she began to use that to wash the feet of Jesus in a service to Jesus. But then she got even lower and she began to kiss his feet as a sign of how much she adored and treasured Jesus that she knew as the Christ, the only one that could wash away her sin. She would wash away the dirt with her tears. He would wash away her sins with his blood. And this was the overwhelming response of a deep humility of a sinner in the presence of holiness. It's the only appropriate response. That's the response of a worshiper who sees his sin. He gets lower. 
the only appropriate response is to get as low as you can, as fast as you can when you are in the presence of holiness. And this is what she does. Now let's find out how the Pharisee responds. The spectator. Notice verse 39. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he's a spectator, sees it. He said to himself, now notice he didn't say this out loud, he just said it to himself. If this man were a prophet like me, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner, not like me. And so this spectator is more concerned with the sin of the woman than he is with his own sin. That's what spectators do. They're focused on the sin of everybody else. And they make the mistake of thinking the sort of people in the world that are different than them. This Pharisee thinks there's only two sorts of people, good and bad. That's what spectators do. They think people fall in these two different, there's two different sorts of people. There's good people and there's bad people. But humble worshipers know the truth is the only two sorts of people there are are dirty, rotten sinners and dirty, rotten, forgiven sinners. Those are the only two sorts. And this Pharisee couldn't find himself in either category. He put himself in the category of good and put her in the category of bad, unworthy, and unwelcomed at the party. Can I ask you? What sort of sinner are you? A forgiven sinner or an unforgiven sinner? Are you a humble worshiper with a deep sense of your own sin? Or are you a spectator that has overestimated your righteousness in the presence of holiness? A couple of weeks ago, our elder team took a day. We went down to Indianapolis and and we gathered there with five or six other Great Commission collective churches for a day of elder training so that the elders could know how to treat their pastor nicely and, uh, and, uh, and keep their pastor accountable and humble and with character and all those different things. And so as we got there, it was just a great day. We enjoyed great fellowship there. And, and uh, Great Commission Collective did a great job of hosting us. They were very hospitable. And when we got there, they had a gift bag for us and a journal, a pen. And then they set out like five different stacks of books and there was a little sign there that says, choose two. So there were books on doctrine and there were books on leadership. And I was kind of late to the table. And so I got the leftovers. And there was this big stack of books that was left over that the other elders didn't choose. And one of them was this one. It just said, humility. Apparently the elders thought they they didn't need that one. Um... So there were all these leftovers. And so I got the leftover, I picked it up. And, and I took this with me last week when I went to Oklahoma to visit my mom. And the Lord used this like a scalpel in my heart to cut out arrogant, self-righteous, self-exaltation, religious pride in my heart. It's written by a guy named Andrew Murray, old dead guy. 
And as I began to read this, I want to share with you some of the things that the Lord taught me that I believe were evident in the heart of this sinner woman and I trust that become evident in you. First of all, what is humility? Humility can be described as the place of complete dependence on God. That's true humility. Andrew Murray says this, humility, the place of entire dependence upon God is from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of his creatures. And so pride, the loss of humility, is the root of every sin and evil. He goes on to say, humility is perfect quietness of heart. How are you doing with that? It is to expect nothing. It is to wonder at nothing that is done to me. To feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. Do you have humility? A complete dependence on God that comes from his internal presence rather than external circumstances being calm. He goes on, here's another thing I learned. Humility is the only appropriate response in the presence of Jesus. We just saw this woman's response, how everything she did brought her lower in the presence of his exalted place. Andrew Murray says, humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. It is the longing of my heart every Sunday in all four services, in every seat, that there would be such a view of God as high and exalted and holy that we would forget about ourselves. That is humility. Someone has said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less because all the space in your head is filled with a view and a vision of who Jesus is. You know the answer to the question, who is this Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And if you fill up that space with who God is, you'll forget about yourself. Humility is our greatest need. Do you long to be blessed by God? Do you long to get God's grace? You want God to answer your prayers? Then notice what Andrew Murray says. Just as water ever seeks the lowest place, so the moment God finds the creature abased and empty, his glory and power flow into exalt and bless. You want to be blessed? You want to be exalted by God? You have to get lower in his presence. That's what a worshiper does. Not a spectator, a worshiper. And then finally, humility is a choice that is often resisted. Andrew Murray says, you want to be humble? Here's what you have to do. Accept every humiliation. 
Look upon every fellow man who tries and vexes you as a means of grace to humble you. Use every opportunity to humble yourself before your fellow man as a help to abide humble before God. I don't know about you, when I face resistance and opposition, my first thought is not, thank you God for giving me another instrument to humble myself. And yet it is a gift. Every weakness, every trial, every sickness, every headache, every cough, every child, every parent, every unreasonable boss, every loss of job is an opportunity to respond in humility to get to the place where God can bless you. He says, this is your one duty. Place yourself before God in your utter helplessness. Consent heartily to the fact of your impotence, completely powerless to change the situation. Sink down into your nothingness. And in the spirit of meek and patient, trustful surrender to God. You ever pray for humility? Andrew Murray says this. Some men pray for humility, but in his secret heart, he prays more to be kept from the very things that will make him humble. You want to be humble? Embrace the hardship. Embrace the trial. Embrace every tool that God uses you to strip away the illusion that you have anything to offer God. Are you a spectator or are you a worshiper? Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name, but the sword was never ours to swing. Jesus, friend of sinners, the truth's become so hard to see. The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. Always looking around but never looking up I'm so double-minded A plank-eyed saint with dirty hands And a heart divided Oh, Jesus Friend of sinners Open our eyes to the world At the end of our pointing fingers Let our hearts be Led by mercy Help us reach with open hearts and open doors Oh Jesus, friend of sinners Break our hearts for what breaks yours That definition of humility by Andrew Murray is succinct and powerful. Let's review it. Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Well, Trent Griffith has been challenging us to think about whether we're true, humble, fully engaged worshipers of Jesus or merely proud, distant religious spectators. He'll conclude his message next week, right here on Resonate. Trent is a senior pastor of a church in Granger, Indiana, Gospel City Church. And you can live stream a Gospel City service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. To do so, just visit mygospelcity.org live. Again, that's mygospelcity.org live. 
or you can find it on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. We'll find out more characteristics of spectators and worshipers next week on Resonate. I hope you'll join us for that. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word and true worship would resonate in your heart this week. You are good. You are good. And your love endures forever. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Live stream our service at mygospelcity.org slash live.